Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Hall Week Podcast. I'm Hall Week Editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Neil Lucas from Noel Gardens. So welcome, Neil. Hello, Mohen. So, Neil, it's really great to have you on the podcast, um, a, a, a leader in the world in your field. So can you tell us a bit about you know, who you are and what you do, in, just in case any, pe- any people don't know who you are? <laughs> I should think there's more than a few, but thank you for that. I look after Noel Gardens, uh, uh, which is a nursery uh, and garden in Dorset. We sell specialising grasses and perennials for a living, um, and I run the garden in what I like to call a naturalistic style, uh, which includes, of course, a lot of grasses, as you might imagine. So I'm guessing you were ahead of your time in terms of naturalistic style, because that's where it's at at the moment. Do you feel that? Um, I don't know. It's a big world. Uh, um, I, I, I think lots of people are doing the same kind of thing. Um, but certainly when I first started, it was far more unusual to sort of um, garden or more importantly, I think that to even be thinking in this way. I think that's the massive difference we've seen that now so many of our customers, it's becoming front front and center. People are really interested in the environment is a real world. It's a real subject. Um, and it's mentioned all the time. And I think we are far more aware now that our gardens have a part to play. Do you think that's here to stay in terms of, you know, what's happening at the commercial level? Um, I think so, because I think it is, you know, sounding too serious, but I think it is such an important subject. Uh, so I think our gardens have that, that, that massive part to play. And so supplying plants that are going to be suitable for the gardens of the future. I think we're just at the beginning of a really exciting new curve. Brilliant. Now, just going back a bit, how did you start in the industry? Ah, Well, um, I started life, would you believe, in the civil service for 12, 18 months. Um, 
And I think after sort of traveling up to, to London, you know, going to an office block and working all around, I decided that actually that wasn't for me. Um, and that while I've always been fascinated with plants, I thought I would actually try and earn my living at it. Um, and so that was a long time ago now, of course, but um, I gave up the London job, as it were, and started to be a gardener. And it's only when I came to Knoll that we also decided that we would need to run a nursery in order to be able to afford the garden. So how hard was it to set up a nursery in those days? Actually, I think anybody who's done it will know that actually it is very it's difficult because of the length of time it starts. I remember thinking that we'd start doing mail order, you know, and you start sorting out form and you do all this. Then you sit down and you wait for the orders to come in. Well, because nobody actually knows you're doing mail order. So there, there's a very long lead in time. And I think that's that's what gets so many small nurseries and businesses. It's just the length of time it takes from the concept, from the idea into some kind of fruition. How did you market yourself back then? The shows, of course, then, you know, the the web was just a sort of a glint, more or less. So uh, we had to go to flower shows. I remember spending, I think it was a fifth of my whole year in hotel rooms the first few years. Um, we went to so many flower shows. And of course, Chelsea in particular was the most important one, because while at that time you couldn't sell, and it was by far the most expensive show to attend, it was literally, we regarded it as our year's worth of advertising. You know, the, the world's press is there, everybody's there. That's the place you need to shout about what you've got to offer. Um, having a place where people gather to celebrate, whether it's plants or anything else, I think will always be. I think the issue is that um, in the early days, if you wanted to buy a particular grass, say from Noel Gardens in this example, you had to be at Hampton Court or the NEC or Tatton. Now you go online, uh, probably using your phone, press a button and it turns up. So I think the way we buy things, the way we do things has had a massive change, a massive effect on flower shows in general. What do you think the future of flower shows is? Um, I still think a little bit different from what it is now. Um, the sales will always be an element, but I think it becomes a little bit like Chelsea is, the Grand Pavilion. It's a celebration of horticulture. Um, and also, of course, looking at the other way, things like plant fairs and things where smaller nurseries can just turn up relatively cheaply, affordably, um, trade and go away again, having made a profit. Um, is probably going to be the, the, the way things are going to happen, I reckon, over the next few years. How's mail order gone for you in recent times? I guess it's been a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, we were very lucky when 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 I said lucky, I have to choose my words carefully here. But um, when COVID first hit, we had just we were already into mail order and we had just commissioned gone live a bespoke stock system. So we knew the number of plants we had to sell. And I think we were therefore in quite a good um, position um, if you, you know, if you consider where, where everybody was in that um, so many people were at home and were suddenly wanting to buy plants. And we saw a massive increase for a year or so, um, which was really, uh, it, it kept us in business because when it first ha happened, I think like the rest of the world, we thought, oh no, how are we going to survive this? But in actual fact, um, we were able to trade quite satisfactorily all the way through the, uh, the crisis. How's trade now? 
Uh, still fairly good, thank you. There's the spring. I still think the, the main factor affecting trade, talking as a nurseryman, is the weather. Um, and as you probably recall, the, the, the um, autumn and winter, let alone the spring, was rather different even from last year. So it was a slower start, but um, it's been a longer one. Um, so while it's getting quieter now, we, we've had a reasonably busy period uh, over the last few months, which, of course, is always good. What do you think prospects are for next year? Um, I'm born optimist. You couldn't be a nurseryman otherwise, I don't think. So I'm hoping that we are going to go quietly, but solidly, we're just going to continue. Brilliant. Now, I was lucky enough to judge New Plant of the Year Award at Gardener's World Live with you quite recently with a very illustrious <laughs> um, bunch of people and me. And uh, so how important do you think new plants are for the market? I think it's actually, I don't know about lifeblood as such, but I think it's really important to have a continual flow of new plants, um, whether they're sort of, you know, soft colour annuals or whether they're, they're longer term plants. Uh, I think one of the dangers is that we keep using the same things all the same time. And that applies as much to me as a grass nursery as anybody else. Um, and so having some variation, some change, something fresh in our uh, offering all the time um, is not just good from the point of view of business and from customers, but also from the environment point. You, you know, we don't we don't rely too heavily on too few genetically similar plants. What's new and exciting in your world in grasses, for instance? Well, um, I guess one of the pluses of my job is uh, that we. We don't have a breeding program as such, but we have a selection program. We have a sharp set of eyes. Uh, and with the number of plants that we grow now, we actually are good at spotting variations. So naming, selecting um, a plant that is a bit different, just talking about the, the subject you mentioned before, having some new plants coming into the range all the time um, is not any good. It's actually quite exciting and interesting. And so um, one or two plants uh, uh, th that we're introducing have just in, in introduced uh, always gets me excited. Ah, yeah. What do you think your best introduction has been? Well, I mustn't say the one I've sold most of, must I? So um, I guess one I'm particularly keen on at the moment is Panicum Sea Mist. Uh, that's They're all lovely plants. I mean, grasses in general, would you believe, are a great group of plants. But I, I particularly like the Sea Mist because it's, it's early to grow. Panicums can be a bit late in, in the UK climate, but this one moves quite fast, is already looking fabulous, has bluey grey foliage, and rather usefully, I might add, in a year like this, um, it is really drought and sunshine tolerant. Why else are grasses so good for gardens? I think if you look to our natural systems for that answer, you will see that grasses cover a massive area of the planet's surface. And they are in all sorts of different cultural conditions. Now, that's in nature. But our gardens, if you stop to think about about it offer some equally tough conditions dry shade sunny wet boggy dry all sorts of different conditions and a group of plants like the grasses that have learned to survive and adapt in our natural systems in such really tough and challenging environments just has to be good for the garden environment no indeed now your book you've got a recent book out and um uh, that covers 
a lot of ground. So can you tell me a bit about your book? Well, it, it, it is about grasses, surprisingly. Um, it, it, it's my sort of almost lifelong interest. Um, it's my attempt to try and share my enthusiasm, my love and my fascination uh, with this group of plants with a wider audience. And I hope coming from a gardener, a nurseryman, it is a sort of a, a practical approach to how we might actually use them and, of course, why we would want to use them. What's it called? Grasses for Gardens and Landscapes, published by Timber Press. Brilliant. So how did, how did that come about and how long did it take you to write? Well, um, this last one was supposed to be a revision of the first one, um, and, but I just put so there was so much new material, updated stuff, they felt it was good to release um, as a new title. But I think from the day I agreed to do it, it's been two years previously in the making of putting together. And the previous one took another two or three years, of course, before that. So it's not quick to do something like this, um, but it's a bit like making a garden. It takes a while. But if you're very lucky at the end of it, you've got something that you're at least reasonably pleased with. Is books writing something you enjoy? Mm, ask me on a good day yes i don't think i'm what you call a natural author if you know what i mean i'm a gardener first i i, I like playing with plants but um it is very satisfying it's a bit creative a bit like a planting scheme or something it requires some work it requires some effort but when it's going right when you get something done it is very re rewarding how often does that need revising do you think how 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 quickly do things move Gosh, you're frightening me now, man. I've only just launched it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, well, the the last one did 10 years, although Timber was suggesting about year eight that it was getting a bit old. So I am sincerely hoping at least five years. Oh, well, hopefully, you, hopefully you've 10. You've got me worried now. Hopefully, hopefully 10. Uh, well, yeah, no. I was going to say, I'm aiming for 10. I'm aiming for 10. Oh, no, well, it, I mean, it seems very comprehensive to me. So, I mean, that, 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 I guess that's the aim. Well, yes, because the actual subject matter, i.e. why would you use them, what they do, doesn't change. What does change, of course, is our ideas and our schemes need updating periodically, of course, because it's a dynamic subject, things need to change. And the cultivar selection, of course, also needs our updating. So that's what dates it. But otherwise, the core material, of course, stays pretty much the same. Now let's talk about the RHS. You were a council member for many years. Yeah. So what what did you what made what made you want to join and get involved? Um, uh, I have I've been associated, you know, in one form or another with flower shows and as exhibitor and as a judge for many many years. I might add long before um, they approached me for council. Um, so I guess that might have been one of the reasons. But I've always felt that. Uh, the RHS, and it's not the only organisation, admittedly, but in this particular case, the the RHS has always, it, it does some good things. It does a good job. Um, it can see that there are lots of things want doing. It is a charity. Uh, it's not perfect like any other organisation. But I think the more people like ourselves support it, work with it and do what we can when asked, I think that's that's the way to go, you know. So... How do you think the RHS is doing at the moment? What do you think um, of its new strategy, for instance? Well, I haven't. Would you believe I'm not sure whether I should say this, but of course, having been out of it for almost a year now, I'm not used to all the stuff coming through. So we have been that busy on the nursery that I've not actually read the new one, uh, at least. Like that. But I mean, it, it was in start of preparation while I was still there. Um, and I think it, it explores some really important subjects. Uh, and I think the point is that, you know, that it 
they are such big subjects that no one organization, however good it is, be it the RHS or anything else, can do it on its own. It's going to have to be joint effort um, to make things really worthwhile. What do you think the RHS should be concentrating on in the future? I mean, is it community? Is it science? Shows? What, what should it be? Well, if you think of those three, the communities are the people who use the plants. Uh, the, the, the shows are where you drag them together. And the science is what helps those people understand what they're doing. So in my view, it's not a question of which. It's so much um, of the percentages of of each because if you do all three reasonably well you're going to get a much better result than just concentrating on one or the other uh and i think it is i first thought when i first joined the rhs i mean as a member many years ago i suppose i thought it was primarily about plants but in actual fact you know i think the rhs is most importantly at its heart it's about people who like plants and i think that's perhaps the difference between a big charity like that and perhaps a smaller organisation or a commercial nursery uh, who are selling plants. It's primarily about people and plants rather than plants. When you were on council, what were your kind of big things? What were you trying to push? Oh, there has been so much. I mean, you go on with ideas about, you know, plant trials, this, that and the other. And then you start realising just what a big organisation and how many aspirations there are. Um, and you almost join in with the, the, the team. I think seeing the new garden was obviously great. Uh, understanding what a community is and how an RHS can actually affect that and do some good, I think was a really exciting time. That was really important. But I think also my particular brief, um, it was like any big charity or organisation, you require a different set of skill sets. You require the finance, the IT, but also, of course, absolutely key in the Royal Horticultural Society. You need gardeners and horticulturists. They're just literally steering the ship to make sure that all the decisions, the policies, the, the way we go, our aspirations and our thinking um, are actually at base tied down with horticulture, with plants. I think staying on message is really key. And the bigger you get, the more dangerous it is or the more likely it is that perhaps you might go off base. We've certainly seen some big changes there in the last few years. And uh, obviously you mentioned the, the new garden, Bridgewater. Um, you know, you, you open um, to to the public. So what, how does it work with you in, in terms of public coming to see you? Well, uh, um, we are obviously a, a little smaller than Bridgewater, ha ha, uh, where we're a whole four acres of garden. Um, so we do not have a massive footfall. Though we're always delighted to see people and I would love to see more. Um, I would just to give you a couple of facts sort of about two thirds, even three quarters of our business these days um, doesn't come on site. And yet when we were doing the flower shows, about 90 percent of our business was on site. So we have a slightly different function from somewhere, as I say, like Bridgewater, for example. Bridgewater is primarily about bringing people in and showing them, you know, all sorts of things, gardening uh, 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 related. We are very specific about our style and the way we do things. So um, I think our message is almost greater, you know, online and off-site almost than on-site, if that makes some kind of sense. No, no, indeed. So what are, you, what are your plans for the business in the garden? Um, well, I put the book on hold. Ha ha. We, we've done that for five years. Um, I think always the garden is what fascinates me. So we have just done a big project this year. We've replanted the Dragon Garden. 
we're having a bit of a rest, I think, this winter, um, if for no other reason than the accountant suggested it, ha ha. Um, uh, and then I think we have a major project of, of, of redoing the bottom half of the Bark Circle, I think, next year. So I always like a few small changes. Uh, we always like to have a big project moving it forward, trying to put in a new kind of meadow style or something. I think I think if you're not moving forward, you know, you start to move backwards, even if it's gradually. So I'm always keen to keep pushing forwards, new plants, new ideas, new plantings. Brilliant. Now, well, always keen to move, keep moving forward. That's that's good to hear. Now, and new plants <laughs> as well. Now, talking of plants, we always ask our Hawk Week podcast interviewees what their favourite plant is. What plant could you not do without if you were sent off to a desert <laughs> island? Yeah. Is there anything in particular? Um, well, I, I will come up with, although I, I, I will just say, and you probably know what I'm going to say, is that I have spent the last 40 years or so trying to train myself very hard not to have a favourite plant. Um, simply because, you know, if you're looking for dry shade, you are choosing an entirely different set of plants. So it's not the plant itself, it's the situation it's growing in, to me, that is most important and therefore most satisfying. Um, having said that, it'd be silly to pretend that I don't love plants and have lots of favourites. Uh, so I would choose a UK native grass, Millennia Carulia. Uh, and any one of its selections, because it just has in our climate where we are rooted in uh, well, here in the south of England, but anywhere in the country in the UK, Millennia Carulia is a beautiful grass. It's part of its local environment. Um, it does all sorts of things and it is simply just beautiful as well. Excellent. What a great choice. Well, thank you very much to Neil Lucas from Noel Gardens. I'm Matthew Appleby, Hawk Week editor, and this has been the Hawk Week podcast. Make sure you never miss a Hawk Week podcast. Subscribe to or follow Hawk Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. And once again, thanks to Neil Lucas from Noel Gardens, and goodbye until next time. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.